Well, Esther Manheimer, congratulations on re-election to your second term. Thank you very much. What do you think was on the minds of voters during this election? Well, you know, it's hard to know exactly what is on the minds of everyone, but a a lot of different topics came up on the campaign trail during the many, many uh, candidate forums that were held this time. Things like short-term rentals, development, affordable housing, uh, taxes, cost of living in general, traffic, parking downtown, (laughs) Uh, Mm. you name it. A lot of different topics came up. When you look back on your past four years, what do you think were some of the greatest times, greatest accomplishments? And looking forward, what are some of your goals for this coming four years? Well, um, I'm really proud of the fact that we have in place now a robust capital improvement plan that's a multi-year plan that's been developed over the last several years. Sort of the icing on the cake there was the passage of the bonds last year, uh, the $74 million in bonds for transportation, parks and rec, and affordable housing. I personally made many, many presentations to different neighborhoods and communities about the bonds and went out and talked to constituents about them prior to the vote. You know, obviously, our continuing evolving relationship with the legislature, culminating in a pretty serious battle over our water system, taking that to the Supreme Court and prevailing, even though the Supreme Court was a majority Republican held in North Carolina at the time Mm -hmm. of the decision. That's a big deal. And I feel like People look to me to be, you know, not just a moderator and a mediator as mayor, but to continue to work to protect our community and represent our community on a statewide level. Yeah. And of course, we had this referendum on districts. Three out of four voters said no to districts for the city of Asheville. And so my question now, what next? Well, ultimately, the decision will lie with the council. But... We as a city have voted not to have districts and the city council put that referendum on the ballot using a statutory process available to all cities and it's a binding vote. So we as a council must follow the will of the voters and we cannot draw districts now because the voters said no. When you say it's a binding vote, does the state law that was passed... Senate Bill 285, does that supersede Asheville's vote? The answer to your question is not simple because it's not been done before like this. I will argue, and I do argue, that the vote was binding because it followed the statutory process that allows voters specifically to make decisions about districts. This is a statute that's existed in North Carolina for quite some time and lets voters and cities make a decision about whether or not they want districts. The bill that imposed districts on Asheville, when it was still pending in the legislature this last summer, it had a provision in it that said, Asheville's voters cannot use this statutory process. However, this last summer, the federal court ruled in the Greensboro redistricting case that because those voters had the same provision denying them the right to vote, it violated the Constitution, specifically the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. So while our bill was still pending the legislature, that prohibition was stripped out. So here we are. We are not, as citizens and voters here in Asheville, preempted from deciding whether or not to have districts by our own referendum. 
However, we are under the thumb of the state legislation that requires us to have districts. So it's, it is a conundrum. And my understanding is that this exact question has not been posed in the courts before in North Carolina. Now, Senator Chuck Edwards has responded by saying that this vote was a sham. How do you respond to that? I am not sure how it's a sham when we used a process that is legally available to all cities in North Carolina. The city council meets tomorrow. Do you expect the city to go the legal route? Well, right now there's nothing to sue over. If you'll recall, the legislation required that the city draw districts and uh, none have been drawn and the voters have voted not to have districts. And so there's nothing to sue over. You know, what the legislation says is that next session, which uh, starts in May, or I suppose in any sort of special session, the legislature will draw the districts for us. And at that point, I think as a community, we'll need to decide what our next steps are going to be. I see. Okay. So you don't really expect much in the way of discussion about the districts at tomorrow's council meeting? We will need to have a closed session with the city attorney just uh, because we've now had this election and we've seen the results. So we will need to have a quick conference with her. The city council members, Vijay Kapoor, Shanika Smith, Gwen Whistler, were those the people that you endorsed, I believe? Yeah, I, yeah, when the paper used the word endorsed, I was I asked see. about them and I after the primary and I said that these were great candidates. I did oh, work I with okay. Gwen Whistler specifically on her campaign. She is our current vice mayor uh, running as an incumbent. Well, what do you think the message from the voters was by sending these three people to city council? Well, first of all, congratulations, voters of Asheville, because this was the highest turnout we've ever had in a municipal election. And I think that all across our country, we're seeing some greater voter participation, and I hope that continues. Municipal elections are notoriously low in turnout because the only issues on the ballot are the city council seats and an occasional referendum. So I think that the voters were pleased with Gwen Whistler's performance. She is a CPA. Uh, she is the former CEO of Coleman Camping Gear. She is a strong technician when it comes to financial issues and human resource issues, things like that. Uh, and the voters chose to reelect her. Vijay Kapoor ran an outstanding campaign and has been running for months. He's been very involved with city council around development issues in South Asheville uh, and really did a good job of running a campaign citywide. And Shanika Smith is a bit of a newcomer to this. She has, although been very active in a grassroots way in Asheville. And so I think she's sort of building on some momentum she already had. So I think the voters chose some balance. You know, I was asked by someone, is this the first time you have a women majority council? And I'm not sure, but I believe it may be. And we have quite a diverse council now of the seven. We have uh, two African-American members and one Indian American. So this is a new day in Asheville. Yeah. And, uh, Women did quite well across the state and around the country as well. Um, Charlotte's mayor is a black woman for mm -hmm. the first time ever. Raleigh's mayor re was reelected. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think to her fourth term, or I think and that's right. And they serve a two-year term there. Two-year term, yeah, and, as opposed to four here. What do you think that says about where the electorate is, I guess, across the state, across the nation? Well, women mayors are still in the minority, but they're doing pretty well in North Carolina. Mm. Uh, but remember, we have over 500 cities in North Carolina. <laughs> so right. Women are running for office and, and people are choosing to elect them. And I think that's fantastic. 
setting aside the legislature for a second, what do you think some of the big challenges are for Asheville? And of course, like immediately for me, what comes to mind is just this rapid growth that we're having. But what do you think? What's your take on it? I do think growth is going to continue to be an issue for Asheville, as well as all the major metro areas in North Carolina. We're one of the fastest growing states in the nation. We're at 10 million people right now and projected to be at 13 million by the year 2030. And uh, not only that, we're seeing an urbanization of the state where more people within the state are moving to cities. So um, that growth may seem exaggerated because of the movement of people within the state. So growth is going to continue to be a major issue, Uh, development, land planning, infrastructure. And then also, you know, I got to say, I think equity is going to continue to be a major conversation, not just in Asheville, but especially here uh, as we see this growth trying to prevent a further separation of folks in terms of their ability to be able to maintain an affordable life here in Asheville. What about the environment? Um, With the U.S. pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, now you were one of more than 100 mayors across the country to sign on to this Mayors for Climate Action pledge. What sort of steps have been taken in terms of reducing carbon footprints and what more could be done? Well, Asheville is pretty cutting edge when it comes to our own initiatives on environmental issues. Uh, We have the city's commitment to reducing our own carbon footprint and have uh, made incredible improvements in that area. Um, And now we have a joint task force with uh, Buncombe County called the Energy Innovation Task Force. And this is where we're trying to provide an opportunity for the citizens, uh, the residents and here in Asheville and Buncombe County to get involved and contribute in their way to reducing our carbon footprint and specifically to try to stave off the need for a third unit at the new gas plant in South Asheville when they convert from coal to gas. Is the city's hands tied uh, in a large way by having to rely on Duke Energy for power? And are there any ways around that sort of arrangement that we have? Well, that's all state and federally regulated. So in that sense, yes, all cities are not in the energy game, uh, so to speak, although there are cities in other states that do play a part in it. And when I talk about energy, I mean the generation of electricity. So we have to work creatively through partnerships if we want to work on our actual energy usage and re- and reducing it and or finding alternative or renewable sources of energy. And you've been acting as the leader of the Mayor's Coalition, is that correct? Mm-hmm. The Metro Mayor's Coalition in North Carolina. And is that going to continue? Are you going to stay on with that? Or is that I, rotating? Or what do you think? No, I am um, staying on. Okay. Uh, and we actually have a conference coming up in December in Wilmington. It'll be our first conference since a whole bunch of new mayors got elected. Uh, So it's an exciting opportunity for us to meet with one another from across the state. We have several incumbents that'll be returning. And then we have new mayors. You mentioned the new mayor of Charlotte Mm -hmm. Viles, who uh, was elected. So other cities elected new mayors as well. What sort of benefit do the mayors derive from having this kind of coalition and being able to communicate with each other? Well, we do act as a lobbying group uh, in dealing with the legislature and trying to maintain a relationship with legislators and be present on issues that are affecting cities. You know, some of the big topics that have happened in the last couple of years is sales tax redistribution. There was a major effort to redistribute sales tax statewide to pull sales tax away from cities and push it to more rural areas. 
So things like that, a lot of transportation issues, actually, which people don't find quite as exciting, but they're a big deal in North Carolina. And then also a lot of cross-pollination among the mayors. We talk a lot about um, different initiatives we're doing in our cities and learning from each other. I had a mayor email me recently and asked, you know, how we were handling hybrid buses. Did we have hybrid buses in Asheville? What was our program? And yes, we do. And we were able to provide some information about that. What about issues in terms of like equality? You know, we had HB2 during the last term and then we had the replacement bill. You know, Asheville was is a very tolerant place or thought of as a very tolerant place. Um, But we did not have sort of this protection that led to what happened with Charlotte. And is there a need for that or, or do you think that Asheville's already kind of out in front on this issue? Well, Charlotte's situation was a little bit different in that they already had a discriminatory ordinance on the books. And so they sought to correct their discriminatory ordinance by repealing it. And they put in place another ordinance that was more proactive. Of course, then the state legislature responded, and we know about the HB2 situation. In Asheville, we don't have a discriminatory ordinance to begin with. So... We didn't have quite the pressing concern about trying to address uh, a discriminatory ordinance in the first place. And Asheville was affected by that because several concerts were canceled, conferences. What's been the impact that you've seen? Has it started to, has business come back or, or, or what do you think? Well, we had a major economic development project that was from the tech industry and nature that was put on ice because of HB2 and that did not come back. And was that something that was confirmed, even though it was not yet really announced? Was it something that was, you know, there's different stages when you're working on an economic development project. Uh, It was not at the announcement stage yet. No, but it was a pretty serious bid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So and and that hasn't come back and um, they've just gone out of state. I don't know what the status is of that now. It was a national company, so. Okay. But no, I mean, I think for North Carolina, there's still a concern about the position of lawmakers with regard to equity issues in our state and whether or not it's an environment that is one that companies want to deal with and locate here. Uh, it mostly comes from pushback from their employees, as I understand it, that they have concerns about uh, living in North Carolina and whether or not there's going to be discrimination. Last question about the legislature. Are there, is there anything that you're watching out for in this current term? Any, any rumblings that you've heard about bills that could have impact Asheville beyond the district's bill? You know, there's always a host of legislation out there that may or may not get introduced or acted on. Some of it's still pending because we're headed into a short session. So things like sales tax redistribution continues to be, um, I mean, a threat more or less. Um, and then further erosion of revenue for cities. You know, we, we lost the privilege license tax. You know, there's a threat to Powell Bill funding, which is the gas tax that helps uh, cities fund road repairs. It seems like these days there's always something out there that we're kind of trying to proactively manage ahead of time to stave off. Right. Is there any sort of legislation that you're working on with local lawmakers as far as things that you would like to see introduced? You know, 
before 2010, it would be very typical for a city to put together its legislative agenda and sort of send its wish list down to the legislature. But that's not really the dynamic now. So we do have a legislative agenda that we work on uh, every year. And we do try to look and see what kinds of things could we try to pursue that would be helpful to Asheville. I think the one that's gotten the most attention is around uh, the room tax. Uh, obviously, the room tax doesn't come directly to the city. It funds the Tourism Development Authority, which is a separate entity, which then turns around and uses a quarter of that to fund bricks and mortar projects in the city and county. That's the kind of thing where you can't just really put that on your wish list and just hope it sees the light of day, right. uh, it's going to require a um, serious conversation with partners in the community and a lot of work before you bring it to the legislature. Uh, we did do it last time. Uh, the room tax was increased from four to six cents. Uh, I convened a couple of meetings around that discussion, and we were able to get an increased amount of funding that goes to that uh, capital fund. Um, well, looking outside of Asheville, it seemed around Western North Carolina, around the state, there were a lot of changes in different town councils, mayors. Uh, do you see any opportunities to work with new leadership or anything like that? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we have new mayors in Charlotte and in Durham. Mm -hmm. uh, Greenville, North Carolina has a new mayor. Uh, Kinston, North Carolina, where I'll be at the end of the month, has a new mayor. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a a great opportunity to, to work with other folks across the state. You know, I think when the Republicans first took the state legislature in 2010, it was a little bit of a tidal wave of anti-city legislation, a lot of stuff on the to-do agenda for Republicans dealing with annexation and extraterritorial jurisdiction and other kinds of issues. And now that all of that's already happened, you know, I think that things may be a little bit calmer now, especially in the wake of the HB2 debacle for us to try to see why it would be better for us to get along than not. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> All right. Well, Esther Manheimer, those are my questions. Is there anything else you want to say about the election or um, your upcoming four years or anything like that? No, I think we covered it. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks.